2: you hear me now can you hear me now you can hear me now it is good to be with you this morning when gloria called me this week very honestly i didn't know whether i could i'd been to the utah idaho southern baptist convention in Layton last week got home friday missed last sunday in church hadn't gotten out of the house until Thursday, and then I just had to get out of the house. But uh, if you'll excuse me this morning, I've got a little bit of a a residue of a cold that has now just developed down into my chest. It's it's never amazing how God does things, because the subject this morning I want to talk to you about is worship. But before I do that, I have a presentation I'd like to make on behalf of the Utah, Idaho, Southern Baptist Church to your church in recognition and appreciation for something that you did last year, which I think is absolutely marvelous. Each year at the convention, the, the state will recognize the highest per gift to the cooperative program by churches in the different association. And of course, since Central Valley is our largest church in the association, they give more than anybody else because they have the largest budget of anyone. And then they recognize the per capita giving Which means that per capita, per person, which church gives more than anybody else in each one of the associations? And for 2009, it says presented by the Utah Idaho Southern Baptist Convention in recognition and appreciation to University Baptist Church, Boise, Idaho, highest per capita in your association in 2009 for gifts. To the cooperative programs. I'd like to present this to Gloria this morning on behalf of Rob Lee and the state convention, on behalf of us also that you support through the cooperative program. We really appreciate that. And I think that's, that's quite an honor for your church. Now, Gloria, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to leave that with me this morning so that I can make the presentation to somebody else in the second service. But I commend you for your sacrificial giving. Uh, it, sometimes it's easy to be the give the most because you have more members, but to give the most per capita is something else. I pastored for I won't even tell you how many years, but I've been around since Bull Durham was a calf and so I pastored for years and one of the things that I never got the opportunity to do, my church members would do it, but I never got the opportunity to do this. they'd be gone a week, maybe two weeks, three weeks, and I say, Where you been? And they said, Well, we were on vacation or we went to see our kin folks or something and I said, Well, did you go to church? And they did. They got to worship in other places. And I always, as a pastor, Gloria, wondered how other people, quote, worshipped. Because I never got to go, because if I missed on Sunday morning, I guarantee you I'd be in trouble, you know, unless I had surgery or something like that. So I always wondered about other churches. So for 40 some odd years, I never got to go unless it was, uh, we were on vacation. But since I've been Director of Missions uh, for your association, I get to visit just about every Sunday I'm somewhere either visiting a church or preaching or we're on the road. And so I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, worship in our Korean churches, our Hispanic churches, our Anglo churches. Let me tell you what, they all do it different. And a matter of fact in my library I have a whole section that deals with worship. And it's amazing what we've done to worship in American churches. As far as the Scripture is concerned, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4, and I want to read a passage of Scripture to you, and I want you to listen to what Jesus says about worship this morning. Because, you see, worship's not just a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening experience. According to the Bible, it's an everyday experience, or at least it should be. In John chapter 4, Beginning in verse 19, very familiar passage of Scripture, and I'd ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. John chapter 4, verse 19. It's a familiar passage. Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria. They stopped at a well, and his disciples have gone in to get food, and Jesus is sitting there, and a Samaritan woman comes up, and he begins a dialogue with her. And about halfway through the dialogue, the woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say it is in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship.' Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews.' But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him will worship, must worship in spirit and truth. Would you pray with me one more time this morning before we go any further? Father, I thank You for the opportunity to stand in this Your place on this Your day. And Father, my prayer is simply that I may not preach for show or glory, but Father, that someone might be saved in this place today and that your children would be strengthened. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We've done some strange things in our culture with worship and with church, Because see, in our society, we think it's all about me. Matter of fact, i got a little video. You may have seen this, but I want you to pay attention to this video and tell me if this is not really true in so many different ways.
1: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots.
0: I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there?
1: Can do. When you arrive, we begin.
2: This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, All right? Come
1: here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave.
2: You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does.
1: All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail.
2: When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax?
1: Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up.
2: How about tickets to the Super Bowl?
1: That's asking too much.
2: I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game.
1: All right, you join now, and we'll get you there.
2: I like a pony.
1: Look in your backyard. Me, church where it's all
2: about you. That's sad, but there's a lot of truth in that, isn't it? Because we think it's all about me. And we, we market churches like that. Here's what we offer to you. And it's amazing what we've done to church and what we've done to worship. And when I... Look at what we've done to church in our culture and what we've done to worship. I've come to realize that we're so far away from what the Bible says that it ought to be and what it should be to what we've made it because we've made it about us. But I want you to notice in this passage of scripture that Jesus said here do you see any mention of Sunday when Jesus talks about worship? There's not anything about Sunday. So, the Christian church, especially in America, has done a strange thing with this word called worship. And what we've done is we've made it into an adjective rather than a noun or a verb. For example, we have worship services. We have worship teams. We have worship liturgy. We have worship music. We have worship times. We have worship materials. We have worship elements. And the list is almost endless. I have like I said a section in my library on worship. Everything from the the war of the music of worship to when you ought to do it, how you ought to do it, and depending on the denomination, the church that you go to they'll tell you how to worship. For example in Baptist churches, Glory was doing something a minute ago that we're not supposed to do. That's raise your hands. Most Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches really don't want to do it. Remember I went to my last church and on Sunday morning, I'm not a hand lifter. I am I am charismatic because I'm full gospel, but I'm not really a hand lifter. But there are times that I want to lift my hands in worship. So on the Sunday morning that I was in view of a call, sanctuary packed, I was sat where I always sat on the front because I don't want to sit up here because I have to watch you, and that affects my worship. And because you've had fights as you leave the house and you're mad at one another and all that sort of thing, so I always sat on the front and I raised my hand that morning. And then when I came back that night, I explained to them why I did. Because there's no one set pattern for worship in the New Testament. There's nothing wrong with raising your hands. It says lift holy hands. So, you need to make sure your hands are But I said, I did that because there are times that I do want to lift my hands in worship. Not all the time, but sometimes I do. I just want you to know who I am. Well, one of my ladies, her husband was chairman of the deacons, became a very good friend of mine came to me afterwards and she said, Brother Don this morning when you raised your hands in the worship service I made up my mind I was not going to vote for you because I thought you were going to lead this Baptist church to become Pentecostal. She said, but when you explained what why you did that, that you wanted the freedom and wanted us to have the freedom to worship as God spoke to our heart, whether it was lifting hands, whatever it was, as long as it was scriptural, that we had the freedom to do that. She said, I changed my mind. And those are the dearest friends, some of the dearest friends that I have today. I could call them right now and share a need with them, and they would help meet that need. But here's my point. We've done all these things about worship. And you can just go on and, on. and depending on what type Bible translation you use, there are more than 250 references to worship in the Old and the New Testament. But what I want to do this morning is, I, I hope I won't keep you because I've just got four little points that I want to make, but I want to take you to the first reference of worship in the Bible. Anybody have an idea where it might be? Exactly right, Genesis, chapter 22. So if you open your bible to Genesis chapter 22, it's it is found 22 chapters after the beginning of the announcement of the creation event. God speaks to Abraham. And it's about something that is very dear to Abraham. It's about his son Isaac. And here's what he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. He's testing him. You know the story. Sarah, I, Abraham are elderly, cannot have children. So Abraham has a child with Haggai. And then God promises this seed, this descendant to Abraham, to where God is going to bless the nations and Sarah conceives, Abraham is born, and now God has, is testing Abraham, and he speaks to Abraham, and he says this, he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now I've struggled with that thinking what would I do if I had been Abraham because I have one son and I have one daughter. If if I had been Abraham and God had said to me I would have probably paused for a moment and then inquired and said right, who is this? Surely it can't be God because God had blessed me with that one son, that heir to my entire who I am, what kind of dumb command am I being given at this particular point? I'd have probably said, do you know how long, can you remember how long it took for Sarah to get pregnant? Do you remember how old we were when we, she conceived the son Isaac, and now you're telling me to kill this son of promise? I mean, what would you have done? I've struggled with that. God does something, and then He comes back, and He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son. I want you to go to a mountain. I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. And as I've tried to think that through, I'm, I'm thinking Abraham's probably saying, did I leave Ur of the Chaldees just to take my son's life here And as you read Genesis, and the story unfolds with Abraham obeying the directions God had given him, look at what Genesis 22, verses 3 through 5 says. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham probably doesn't tell us, but I'm sure he struggled with that command. But early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. I want you to notice what Abraham says then. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. According to the Bible... Abraham was prepared to take his son's life as a sacrifice to God. He had struggled with whatever he struggled with, and now he is being obedient. And I want you to notice the word that Abraham uses to describe this act, worship. Abraham's climbing the mountain to place the most important part of his life on a crude altar, and he calls it worship. Now what would you call it? I wouldn't call it worship. He's about to take a life, the most precious life that he has ever known anything about, and he calls it worship. But you and I have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story. Abraham didn't in that moment, and you need to realize that. And the drama as you read it is intense and it's frightening. And as you remember the story, God provided another sacrifice, and Isaac was spared. But here's my question for you this morning. In this story, the very first story in the Bible about worship, what lessons can you and I take from this story? What is worship? Is it coming and singing some songs? Is it having a time of 8.15? 9.45, 9.45, 11 o'clock, Sunday morning, Sunday night. What can we learn from the Bible about this thing called worship? Well, there are some lessons that I believe that we can learn this morning and that I want to share with you. There are four in this concept of worship that applies to me and to you thousands of years after Abraham obeyed God on that mountainside near Moriah. As I studied the Scripture, the first thing that I noticed in this is that worship is aligning our will with the will of God. That's the first principle of biblical worship, aligning our will with the will of God. And see, oftentimes we miss that. We do not align our will with the will of God. You remember in the Beatitudes in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Jesus is teaching the disciples about the Beatitudes. And in chapter 6 verse 10 he, He's he's telling them about prayer. And He says don't pray like the the others do where everybody's got to see it. But He says when you pray go into your closet and get along with your Father. And your Father knows what you're going to say. But He gives us the model prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the model's prayer. And As you pray that prayer, Jesus said in verse 10, He says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, aligning your will with the will of God. So when you pray, you're to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That also means that your will be done in my life as you want it done, aligning your will with the will of God. What is God's will for you? Well, I think there are certain things, and I'm not going to go into it this morning, but there are certain things in the will of God that is the same for every one of us. There are certain things that are there for every one of us, no matter who we are, what we do, where our status is in life. There are other things that are in the will of God that don't match each one of us. For example, one of the things that doesn't match you is God called me to be a preacher. He may not have called you to be a preacher. Now, He called all of us to be ministers, but not necessarily preachers. But everyone, matter of fact, if you look, remember what He says, He says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's part of God's will for your life. That's for all of us. Where are to extend forgiveness. Jesus said, If you won't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Your Father won't forgive you because that's God's will. So, there are certain things when you read the Scripture you need to realize that this is God's will on earth as it is in heaven, and that's God's will for your life. And you need to bring your life, your will into context with His will. Remember when Jesus was in the garden? He told the disciples, He said, I want you to stay here, I'm going over there to pray. And in that prayer in the garden in Matthew 26, Jesus said when he was faced with the cross and the death, he said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was getting his life in alignment with the will of God. Matter of fact, he prayed that prayer three times and he finally came back. In verse 42, he says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. A lot of times we come to church, the me church, where it's all about me, and we say we worship, but we walk out and our will is not aligned with the will of God. And so. You can't say you worshiped unless you have aligned your will. That's why when God speaks to us through the week, when God speaks to us in the worship service, when God speaks to us through the music about something in our life that is against His will and we're convicted of that, that's why we don't need to compromise with Him and negotiate and all that. We need to just simply say, Yes, Father, You're right. I'm not in alignment with Your will. I don't have a forgiving spirit. Then there's all sorts of things that are in the Scripture that that God talks about. So first of all, true biblical worship is aligning our will with the will of God. Second thing that I noticed in this passage of Scripture and with other verses in the Bible is that worship is giving to God everything and everyone that is significant to us. Giving to God everything and everyone that is significant to us. When you look at Abraham, Abraham was willing to give everything. Matter of fact, as you study his life, what did he do? God spoke to him one day, and he says, Abraham, I want you to get up, and I want you to leave the land of your fathers. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything. And I want you to go to a land that you know nothing about. But I'll show you. And I'll tell you when you get there. Now you talk about faith. I want the road map, don't you? God, I'm willing to follow you, but I want to know where we're going and what's going to happen and how it's going to happen before I begin to step out. But if you're really going to worship God, God's saying, I want you to give me everything and everyone that is significant to us. And Abraham was even willing to give up the promised son. I cannot imagine anything in this man or his wife's life that was more precious to him than Isaac. And see there are times that, well not times, I'd say it's most of the time that we're not willing to give God everything and everyone that is significant to us. One of the biggest problems we have today with sending missionaries around the world is in churches, they'll pray for people to send for God to call out the missionaries, but they want it to be somebody else's child instead of their child. God, I don't want my child to go to some of those countries and share the gospel. I don't want my child to go into the inner city and share the gospel. But see, God says, if you're really going to line your will with me, that means you're willing to lay everything on the line. The third thing that I discovered in this is worship is obeying to the last detail the command that god gives to us abraham took the word wood for the burnt offering and the burnt offering was going to be isaac he knew that he didn't understand it but he knew that and so he was willing to fulfill the last detail of god's command And then the last thing, and I'm through this morning, is worship is more than an experience, it is an offering. See, here in a little while, we're going to say a part of the worship experience is an offering. And this is what we've done to the offering today. Put something in. And we talk about a tenth. And, boy, I'll tell you what, you can get in more trouble talking about money in the Baptist church than you can anything in the world. Because, see, it's my money. That's our concept. It's my money. I work for it. And i got all these things that I want, all these things that are mine, my house, my car, my insurance, you know, all that my college education funds for my kids, that's mine. But according to the concept of what I'm just telling you about worship, if you're giving everything, this is the worship. But this is a part of it. Now, I just recognized you and commend you that you give more per capita for the cooperative program. But have you ever crawled up in the plate? See, that's what God wants. You. That's the offering. It's not a part of what you are, it's everything that you are. You ever notice in the Baptist church, I've noticed this all the years I've been pastoring. If you go back in the back rooms and we get ready to baptize somebody, have you ever seen a lady baptized with her purse? <laughs> do you, do you, ladies ever have your purse baptized? Guys, what do you do? Remember when you were baptized? What did you do? Did, you know, I've never baptized anybody with their billfold. They always take it out and they lay it aside. There's something mentally about that. That's not part of me. But that's really who I am. Jesus said more about money than He did about anything else, your relationship to your possessions. But really worship is more than an experience in its offering. Paul wrote a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12 that I think is so, so important that we overlook. Paul said this, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present your bodies a living sacrifice and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know what God wants more than this, than my tithe, than my offerings? God wants me. A living sacrifice, aligning my will with his will giving the most precious things that I have. Why? I can trust Him. Amen? I mean, can we trust Him? Sure we can. If you, if you know Him, you know you can trust Him. All you got to do is go back through your life experiences and know that in those dark hours when you didn't think you had anything to hold on to, you didn't know where you are going to go. What happened? God provided, didn't He? Now, He may not have given you what you wanted, but He's always given you what you needed. And so, Paul says, I want you to, here's your, here's your, your reasonable duty, it's worship, and do not be conformed to this world. See, there again, lining your will with the will of God. What's God's will? We're to be different. We're to love one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to set the example for something that this world has never seen, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's why Paul would say, have this mind which was in Christ Jesus, who thought not more of himself, but would humble himself and come from heaven to earth and take on the form of man, to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to act like Christ. Samaritan's Purse. To give those things to those that have less. To look around and say, hey, they are alienated. They're strangers. They're they're not a part of the kingdom of God. They're lost. They're dying. And when they die, where are they going to go? They're going to go to hell. Separated from God. To have that mind of Christ that He'd willing to say, I'll hang on the cross, Father. If the cup can pass, let it pass. But if it can, God, I'm willing to give my life and yet my Bible says he could have called down legions of angels, but he chose not to do it. See, that's worship, that, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's biblical worship. That's coming, and it's not just an experience that happens in a few minutes, you know. I, I, I can remember, I don't know how many times, and some of you may be like this. You know what this means when I look at it? Nothing. Baptist preachers don't pay any attention to that. I've had people look and do like this, making sure their watch was working, you know. Gloria, I tell them, hey, I don't preach by the clock. I preach by the calendar. And they'd bring the calendar and flip the pages, you know. You're going to get through. But isn't that what we've done? We worshiped. But we got to be through so we can meet the Bethanists down to the cafeteria, or we come at 845 because we want to get it over with and have the day for ourselves. No. Worship is 24-7. 365 days a year, aligning your will with the will of God. Right down to praying about every decision you make. Do I need that new car? I want that new car, but do I need that new car? I want that new refrigerator with all the bells and the whistles where it will make the whatever it makes in the door and that sort of stuff. I want that because that's what everybody tells me I need to have. But is that what God wants me to have? Or would I be better off keeping the old refrigerator and giving some money to somebody else? Aligning your will with the will of God and giving to God everything and everyone that is significant to us. And then obeying to the very last detail that God gives to us. And you do that by offering yourself to God as a living sacrifice. I like what Tia Anderson wrote when she said, Worship is a powerful experience. But if it's just an experience, then it only lasts for a few hours. But if it's an offering, it lasts your whole life. Worship. Close with this quote from Max Licato in his book, Come Together in Worship. I like the interpretation he gives to this passage. Here's what he says. More than a song, more than a gesture, more than a donation of money or a quotation of Scripture, Worship is when you take the biggest part of your life and place it on the altar. What is your Isaac? A dream, a marriage, a friendship? The biggest part of your life may be the best part of your life, or could it be the worst? Your days might be occupied with disease, debt, or divorce. You may be carrying guilt and anxiety, fear and failure. You may be wondering, how can I worship? I have so many problems. Worship is the act of giving those problems to God. Now here's the problem with a living sacrifice. And I think you probably already know what it is. A living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar. And that's what we do. We give it to God. And then what do we do? We take it back. And we give it to God. And we take it back. And that's why Paul said, consider yourself dead. You're no longer alive. The moment that you received Christ, you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. And you rose to live in a newness of life. So my question for you this morning. We're going to sing... That last song about worship is our invitation. And I don't know what you need to put on the altar of sacrifice this morning. I don't know what you need to give to God. But I'd encourage you to line your will with the will of God. And to give that which is the most precious to you, to him this morning. And that may mean, may, mean that you need to make a public decision. You may need to make a public profession of faith. You may need to follow them in believers' baptism. You may need to join this fellowship of believers. You may need to get up this morning and go to someone and ask them to forgive you. You may need to get on your knees at this altar and just pray. I don't know. But God knows. And so he, like with Abraham, he's saying, get up. Take that which is the most precious to you and take it and offer it as a sacrifice to me as your reasonable act of worship. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and let's sing this little chorus again as our invitation. And I'm not going to keep you. We're going to sing it through two times. If you need to make a decision, you come. If nobody comes, you'll close the invitation this morning.